and welcome to the Tales of Osteopathy Students with me, Chelsea, and my girlfriend, V. How you doing, V? Hello, hello. We're back. We're all good. We're all good. Yeah. I drank a lot of fluids this morning. <laughs> good. Always good. Yeah. It's always good. And I'm ready to learn more about anatomy and physiology. Yes. Excellent. Yes. What you got to tell me this week? So this week, I'm going to talk to you about the lower respiratory tract. A couple of weeks ago, V told us all about the upper respiratory tract, and so I'm just following on from her. Now, always, depending on which textbook you look at, it's going to tell you something slightly a little bit different. So just specifically for today, I'm going to let you know that I am referring to the 15th or global edition of Tortora for the bulk of this information. There are also a few really handy videos available on YouTube, which we're going to add to a little playlist for you, so you can go and check those out later. So first of all, what's included in the lower respiratory tract? We've got the trachea, we have bronchi, bronchioles, alveola, alveolar sacs, the diaphragm, and also the lungs. The lower respiratory tract serves the function of pulling air from the upper respiratory tract and gaseous exchange by absorbing oxygen and releasing carbon dioxide. Now that whole gaseous exchange is super complicated and we're going to go into that in a lot more detail in a whole separate episode of its own because we think it's super important that we spend a little bit more time talking about that. Now starting off at the top and working our way down, we're going to start with the trachea. The trachea, also known as the windpipe, is based just below the larynx and starts at roughly around C5. That is your fifth cervical vertebrae. And for those of you that have just heard that and thought, cool story, Chelsea, what on earth is that? <laughs> it's roughly towards the bottom of your neck, okay? So it's about 12 centimetres long and 2.5 centimetres in diameter and finishes around your fifth thoracic vertebrae which is roughly around the middle of your chest. This is where it divides or bifurcates into left and right bronchi. It is anterior or in front of the esophagus, which is where your food goes. The trachea itself is held open by C-shaped rings of cartilage. The trachea is generally under a lot of pressure, okay? So you think about, you know, you've got air coming in and out of it all of the time. So it's under loads and loads of pressure. And these C-shaped rings help the trachea keep its shape and stop it from collapsing in on itself. The space, in the C-shape, where the esophagus is, so if you think about, you know, you've got a C, you've got a start and end point of that C, there's a, a gap where those, you know, so they don't meet. This is where the esophagus is, and it helps to provide more space for the esophagus as well when it's needed. Yeah, very clever. So when you're swallowing loads of food and it needs a bit more space, <laughs> it can go into that. Both the trachea and the bronchi are lined with ciliated pseudostratified columnar epithelium. What a lovely name to remember. <laughs> so let's break that down because it's quite big and chunky. Yes. <laughs> First of all, we're talking about a wall of cells. Ciliated means they have loads of tiny little hairs. Pseudostratified is a layer of single cells that look like they are made up of loads of layers as the nucleus of these cells are all at different levels. Mm. So if you look at it from a distance, it looks, you know, it looks like there's loads and loads and loads of different cuboidal cells, essentially. But there's actually just one layer of columnar cells. This is why it's pseudostratified. It looks like it's stratified, actually not. Columnar, because they are shaped like a column and epithelium is the type of cell. These cells line the walls of yeah. most of your organs and also your skin. Not so bad when we break it down, <laughs> it's a bit easier than we think. Lovely. These cells are interspersed with goblet cells, which produce mucus. But why loads of hairs? So these little hairs help move the mucus up the respiratory tract to be coughed out. 
This traps all those little germs and pathogens that might get into the lungs and get rid of them to stop causing infections. Fun fact, smokers destroy all of these little hairs, so smokers are generally more prone to lower respiratory tract infections than non-smokers, as they haven't got these little hairs and mucus and everything to help yeah. catch all those infections in the first place. It's that lovely hacking cough that I used to hear when I worked in <laughs> a respiratory ward, and I was like, lovely. Moving on to the bronchi. So the primary bronchi separate the air traveling into the left and right lung. These are also held open by cartilage, just like the trachea. The right main bronchus is wider, longer, and descends more vertically, whereas the left is a bit more horizontal. This means that if a foreign object, for example, accidentally goes down the wrong hole, you know, like you swallow a bit of something and it's gone down the wrong hole, it's more likely to end up in the right lung than it is in the left because that right bronchi is more vertical and it goes straight down. Yeah, they've got a direct path. These main bronchi then split further into more branches called the secondary bronchi, which will supply each individual lobe of the lungs. There are three lobes in the right lung and two in the left. This is because the heart is slightly nestled to the left. So the left lung has only two lobes to make space for the heart. Oh yeah, there's a little cardiac notch. These then divide again into tertiary bronchi and then into smaller airways called bronchioles. At this point, there is no more cartilage keeping the airways open. So there are also no goblet cells. Goblet cells are gone. The bronchioles are divided into conducting, terminal and respiratory. Conducting bronchioles transport the air and are not involved in gaseous exchange. Terminal bronchioles, as suggested by the name, are at the end of the conducting bronchioles. These then split further into respiratory bronchioles, which can be identified by the presence of our pals, alveoli. Alveoli are essentially air sacs, the thin walls, which are generally only one cell thick. This is where gas exchange takes place, and we'll talk about this again in a lot more detail in future. But essentially, this is where your blood will drop off CO2 and pick up oxygen. They are teeny, 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 tiny, and there are roughly around 300 million alveoli in adult lungs. This is so there is a large surface area to make gas exchange more effective. There are two types of cells in the alveoli. Type 1 are your simple squamous cells. These are small, thin, simple, one-layered cells. These are responsible for the gas exchange. And type 2 are cuboidal. Yeah. As the name suggests, they are shaped like a cube and responsible for producing something called surfactant. So surfactant is, is like a liquid, essentially. So alveoli are under a lot of pressure, you know, just like the trachea, there's so much going on with air coming in and out of the lungs all the time. And surfactant helps reduce the surface tension, which stops the alveoli from collapsing. Because there's no cartilage holding open like there is with the trachea. So we've got this other thing here, which is super important. If you're more of a visual learner and you want to have a picture of what this kind of looks like, it helps to kind of imagine an upside down tree. So imagine the trachea as being the trunk of the tree, the primary bronchi being the first two big branches that divide further and further and further until you've got the little twigs at the end, which are the bronchioles. And then the alveoli are like the little leaves at the end of the branches. It's quite a nice little visual representation. Yeah. Now going on to the lungs, them very selves, <laughs> the big important part, they sit inside the pleural cavity and either side of the mediastinum. So the mediastinum is that that space in the center of your chest, which is where your heart is. The pleura is a membrane that covers the chest wall and the lungs, and it's a double layer. Between the layers is a pleural fluid, which acts as a lubricant. This allows for optimum expansion and contraction during inspiration and expiration. Breathing. Teachers always tend to give this example about a balloon, and it really took me a while to 
get kind of the gist of it and really understand what they were talking about. So I've kind of got a slightly different way of explaining it, which I think works a little bit better. So I'm going to give it a go. Ooh, do tell. So imagine you've got this balloon, okay? And in your hand, one of your hands, you're holding this balloon. Mm -hmm. The balloon's not totally inflated. You know, it's got a little bit of space, a little bit of give in it. So it's not completely stretched out. You've got a bit of space. Okay. You make a fist with your other hand and then push that into the balloon. The idea trying to touch your hands together. Okay. The hand you were originally holding the balloon with is your chest wall. Mm. The part of the balloon touching that hand is the parietal layer of the pleura. Your lung is the fist and the part of the balloon touching your fist is the visceral oh, layer. Okay. So what happens with that? It means that there is no friction between the lungs and the chest wall. You try and move your hands together. You think you've got a nice bit of fluidity. Mm. You know, your lungs aren't going to catch against anything. It's providing that space to make expansion and contraction when we're breathing a lot easier. Great. That's a really good way to think about it. I mentioned earlier that the right lung has three lobes, the superior, middle and inferior. Superior and middle are separated by a horizontal fissure. So horizon, horizontal, straight across. The middle and inferior are separated by an oblique fissure. The left lung has just two lobes, superior and inferior, which are separated by an oblique fissure. Tip to remember the name of the oblique fissure is to think about the angle, like your oblique muscles, okay? They're slightly diagonally going down towards the center. So if you think they're from the very outside, going slightly down towards the middle of the body at an angle. So that's what that's the angle of those fissures in the lungs. Each lung on the side of the mediastinum, so this is the center, have a triangular depression called the hilum. This is where the bronchi, pulmonary arteries, and veins enter each lung. Finally, the main muscle of inspiration is the diaphragm. Big deals. <laughs> the diaphragm is a big sheet of muscle that the lungs and heart are attached to. The diaphragm separates the thorax from the abdomen. Okay. Okay. During inspiration, when you breathe in, it lowers the thoracic floor and creates a negative pressure gradient and therefore brings air into the lungs. The muscle, very interestingly, this is a good point clinically that we will need to know later. The muscle, the diaphragm itself, is innervated by the phrenic nerve, which contains fibres from roots C3, C4 and C5. Mm. So it's important to know that those C3, C4 and C5 is the middle of your neck. So the fact of if that nerve is pinched or unpinched, you know, yeah. is that going to cause problems with the innovation with the diaphragm? So I think something important to keep in mind for, for any of us clinical students in the future. And essentially, that is my summary of the lower respiratory tract. Lovely. So interesting, isn't it? I wonder if there's any osteopaths listening or some more advanced osteopathic students listening who work on the C4-5 area, did you say, for the phrenic nerve that help to release any tension that might be contributing to the diaphragm? And if that helps your patients? Yeah, I think that must be a thing because if you've got like an impingement, like there's a bit of an entrapment there or something that's affecting mm. that, um, that nerve that's innovating the muscle, then maybe. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I would love to know. So if you have any answers for us or questions about this episode, um, please let us know and contact us via our email at double T double O S 
podcast at gmail.com or message us on our social media, which is at double T double O S podcast. We hope that's helped. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. And next episode, we'll be going over the structure of the alveolar capillary membrane in a bit more um, information and a bit more uh, focus towards the gas exchange and diffusion and how some of the gas laws comes into play in the respiratory system. Yes. Yes. So speak to them. Love you. Bye. Bye.